0: Welcome to Forward Obsessed, where we talk to breakthrough business leaders and rising entrepreneurs about their journeys, origin stories, and aha moments. Progress, pitfalls, and pivots. Business is a roller coaster, folks. Strap in is only one direction, and it's forward. Hosted by Pete Senna and David Salinas. Hey everybody, welcome to Forward Obsessed. We had a great conversation today. You're gonna hear from Bob Ruffalo, founder and CEO of Impact, a company focused on helping people find success with inbound marketing through education, events, and agency services. It was an incredible conversation. We covered things like a failed partnership and how to avoid it. We covered the loneliness in entrepreneurship and how empathy doesn't flow anywhere but down power dynamics in the workplace and improving trust with your team. And a lot of work on mergers and acquisitions with Bob is incredibly knowledgeable about because he's done quite a bit of rolling up uh, with his business. And we're very excited to share this with you. Be sure to check the notes for all the resources and books. Bob is a voracious reader, and you'll be able to definitely get some knowledge from that. Please share, subscribe and comment. Let us know what you think and enjoy the episode.
1: Bob, what's going on? Welcome to Ford Obsessed, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dude, I feel like we have so many awesome conversations, I finally got this one to be recorded, so. uh,
2: Looking forward to it. It's gonna be good.
1: Let's do it. So, um, tell the audience a little bit about just who you are, like high level, what you're doing. Yeah. And we'll get into it.
2: Yeah, so Impact, I mean, we're right across the hall from you guys, so it's known you guys for a long time. I think we probably competed at one point as agencies, but it's been great watching you guys grow and see what you've become, and we've grown very differently. Uh, you know, so I started as just a freelance web designer, just like many people probably listen to this, just a you know one-person show. And uh, today, we've grown our business to a seventy, almost seventy-person consulting business based around our framework, which I think we're gonna go deep into all this today. Awesome. Yeah. So,
1: what is impact, just like talk a little bit about just like what that business is, Yeah. maybe a high level on HubSpot and inbound marketing just for the audience. Cause we got a really diverse audience here yeah. and yeah. then we'll get into it.
2: Yeah. If you go back five years ago, we were an agency. So uh, we partnered up with HubSpot in 2013. We were one of their first partners. We caught a nice wave, uh, got a lot of business from that channel. So companies that were looking to get more business from their websites, from their digital marketing, uh, we're buying HubSpot and need help implementing HubSpot. And we were just always one of the names that came up on the HubSpot partner directory. So we had a lot of leads, a lot of business. And we grew that way just doing inbound marketing retainers. Uh, and then I think as we grew up a little bit, we realized that that was, we were getting commoditized. It's not what we wanted to do. We weren't as passionate about doing services work agency wise. Um, at the price points we were doing it, it just wasn't us. And I think I looked around the HubSpot community and I said, who's doing this really well? Who do I know? And I know we're going to go into Marcus Sheridan today. Maybe we'll jump right into this today. But Marcus is the star of impact. I, I run the business, but he really is the face of the business. Uh, what makes him so special is that he wrote a book. He's got a framework. He's been teaching this for years and years and years. It's called They Ask You Answer. If you've never heard of the book, please pick it up. I think you'll enjoy the read. It's a very easy read. Uh, but the book is They Ask You Answer. And what I've decided to do is build the entire business around this framework. Uh, again, he's had so much success teaching businesses. Uh, a few years ago, we decided to merge our businesses together, um, and I'm growing the entire business around his framework.
1: Now, I want to I dig yeah. into that because yeah. obviously you're living this every single day, but the audience, this guy, Marcus Sheridan, super inspiring guy. I've been to some of his talks. He had a pool company. Yeah. Yeah. And turned this small pool company, local pool company, into like a national player yeah. and really blew the business up with inbound marketing. So can you maybe yeah. just, just share just a quick snippet on that? Because yeah. I think you know, now Marcus is like, you know, an internationally recognized sales trainer. He's, you know, motivational speaker and obviously, like you said, star of the show. Talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you take yeah. a local pool business and then go into now being the star of the show at Impact here?
2: Well, I mean, the story goes as you're saying, you know, I don't think Marcus ever went to go be a marketing consultant or a sales consultant. It just kind of, that's where he ended up. You know, having this pool company, it was just, again, it was probably him and a few buddies. It was a, probably a four or five person company. Uh, he had all these deposits on pools in 2008. And we all know what happened in 2008. The recession happened, the market crashed. All those pool deposits were pulled. And his business was about to crash and he was on the verge of bankruptcy. And he had some some decisions to make. He said, you know, I can file bankruptcy, I could lay off all my people and, and you know, basically start over and have this follow me for the rest of my life, or I could figure out how I'm going to save this business. And he decided to go all in on, on saving the business, and digital was, you know, the channel he decided he was going to put all of his energy into. Around that time, HubSpot became a thing, inbound marketing became a thing, and he just went all in on his content. I think he did better than anyone else. He decided he's going to be the most trusted voice in all things Fiberglass Pools. If you want to know anything about Fiberglass Pools, you're going to find him and his website, and that's where you're going to learn about it. And because of that, he became the most trafficked website for all things Fiberglass Pools. He had all the business coming to him, uh, and, uh, and he saved his business that way. Now on top of that, he then was able to, he was asked by all these content marketing publications and conferences to please come speak. And that's how he got into the marketing realm. Uh, You know, and, and really the other part of they ask you answer besides the certain strategies of how you do content marketing, which is about talking about price in the most honest way possible, talking about your competitors, things that all buyers want to know. And that's what they're researching online. That's where they're looking for when they're making a purchasing decision, but most companies won't address. So, like, well, we won't talk about these things until we have a prospect in a sales call. But if they're never going to a sales call, are they ever really a prospect or a customer, no. So we decide let's do all that on our website and become the most trusted voice, understand that most of the buying process happens before a prospect ever contacts a company. So these are all the, the pillars of the framework. The other pillar of it is that You can't just outsource this to somebody. You can't just hire an agency to create and run your content marketing program. There's so much that goes into it, so much knowledge and soul of what the business is all about and getting the whole organization behind it and using that content to run the business, not just having it as blog articles on your website, but real assets that touch every single point of the customer experience inside your organization, which requires a lot of buy-in. So you have to staff that up. So he, he started going around talking about all this. And uh, when people said, hey, can you do this for my company? He said, no, but you know, if you pay me some dollars, I'll just teach you to do what I did. And that's where the first few clients, like Yale Appliance, if you ever go to their website, just doing the ask-you-answer and, and just digital beautifully. Um, Zella was another very early one. He's got all these great early case studies. Now was just Marcus just saying, hey, I'm going to coach you and teach you how to do what I did at River Pools. And now that's really become the model. That impact from our services component—that's what we do for our clients. We just teach them how to do it, help them staff up, get their entire team trained up, and then we're happy when they graduate.
0: It's like Gary Vaynerchuk, but for a fee, right? Yeah. He did it for wine, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, uh, and then opened an agency, but opened the agency for the biggest companies at the highest value, and then gives away all the advice for free on the on his social channels. That's exactly right. Yeah. So Marcus,
2: Marcus and Gary actually. Uh, keynoted social media marketing world together. If you ever want to look that up, I think you can find that on YouTube. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's so funny.
1: so here you here he is building that that business. Here you are building impact.
2: Yeah. And
1: you're about to tell us the story of that, you know, amazing partnership with you and Marcus that has taken shape today. But let's talk about what happens when a partnership goes bad. Yeah. Or when a partnership goes wrong. I don't think it goes bad. Yeah, yeah. But um, six months into the business, you yeah. started, you started impact and you started with a partner who was actually a boss at your, of yours, That's right? Exactly right. Yeah. Um, and then things didn't work out. Yeah. So I know the audience, what they love about forward obsess is we get into those pitfalls. Yeah. We get into those different things that, that often recur, require that pivot. David always says business is like a roller coaster. Um, so talk about that, you know, yeah. what, what happens You're six months in and, and what were you feeling what was going on and, and cause that partnership to really derail.
2: So we'll take you back to 2009. I was working for a manufacturing company, uh, doing their marketing. Again, very early inbound marketing. Uh, and I was really enjoying it. Uh, I was able to grow their website traffic, grow their leads. They didn't have a CRM. Every lead that came in off the website, that filled out a form. I'd fill out a yellow piece of paper. we passed pass it to the sales team. The real so, CRM. Exactly. <laughs> paper the Bob RM. <laughs> the paper version. And it was fun. And uh, you know, and from that I had a lot of freelance opportunities. so I started doing a lot of freelancing on the side to make some side money. Um, again you're talking 2007 2008 the economy wasn't great I didn't have like, a great salary so I you know I, I started freelancing on the side and then I decided to make the leap and say, okay you no know, I'm gonna do this full time. Uh, I could have done it by myself and then you know you're talking about lessons learned you know I think that that's probably the biggest lesson learned is that I think everybody, when they're thinking about starting a business, they're saying, who can I do this with? It's immediately rushing to, I should have a business partner. But business partners are just another thing you have to manage. And I'm sure you guys know. You guys have had your relationship for a very long time. And when you're in business with somebody, just like a marriage, you have your ups, you have your downs. It's another thing you have to manage. Uh, So I think if I were to go back, I would say, you know what? I probably didn't need a, a business partner at the time. Probably over the years cost me a lot of money. And I could talk about how that probably happened.
0: I'm sure. Why do you think? Why do you think we? Because it, it's it's true. You always looked for like you're recruiting your first people as your your partners, right? Yeah. your Co-founders. Why do you think people do that? it's, it's got to be. You think it's out of out of fear, out of uh, uh, fear of the unknown.
2: Yeah. So um, in your business, you know, I, I guess. One thing is, hey, listen, instead of having salaries, let's just have a bunch of owners that will all build this together. And instead of having to worry about a payroll, we just have a lot of people doing the work. And eventually we'll all just pay ourselves, right? And we'll all own this thing, which I do think there is merit to that. And I'm learning a lot more about that now, which I'm sure we can get into after. Um, But for me, you know, I was producing the product. I was managing all the clients. I was doing all the books. There was just probably parts of running a business, like starting a business I didn't know. So I was like, you know, I might as well go into business with somebody that has started a business. And I probably convinced him to do this more than he wanted to. And he, uh, you know, he made it very clear in the beginning. He's like, well, I just, I'm going to help you get everything started and give you a little bit of startup money. And we did it 50-50, but the contributions were not 50-50. And he made that very clear. It was never going to be that. I probably should have just said, you know what? I will figure out how to do all these things that you're going to teach me on my own and customer fund this, self-fund this, whatever I have to do to be able to, you know, again, talking buy a computer, buy a cell phone. That's all I needed back then, right? So that's what the startup capital really was. But I did 50-50. It was probably not the best decision. And, you know, you never make that equity back up if the business starts taking off, And which Impact became, you know, a couple million dollar business within its first three years. You know, I only owned half of it. I didn't actually own 100% of it, even though I was doing Ninety nine percent of the leadership work, uh, you know, about six months into the business and, you know, not to this partner's fault. There were just personal things that happened in his life and he wasn't able to be part of the business. He did make it clear he was not going to be there every day, but he wasn't able to be there at all. So I had this silent partner for a few years that just, you know, he was never going to come back. So um, and it wasn't really until 2021. So. 11 years in the business, 12 years in the business, I was finally able to buy him out. So it's expensive one the, when you buy him out, you know?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things in hindsight what I would say is for, for the listeners, what I would probably consider doing in a situation like that because it is helpful, right? It is a bit of, you know, it's like having a therapist in that situation yeah. where you have somebody before he went dark on you. Yeah. Um, but ultimately what I would do is probably structure, structure a buyout in the partnership since he's asking to not be an operating partner then you should say okay when you recoup x amount of your money back you reduce you you reduce down and i I get back more of my percentage and then that would be a great idea leaving yeah that's what i'm saying so that's what i'm for the for the audience what i would do is structure some type of a buyout upfront that brings them down to a reasonable amount of equity for the risk that they took so call it five or ten percent after they get uh, say one you know one times their money back then two times their money back and so on and so forth and that yeah. ratchets them down and puts you in the in the better position because it also protects your other shareholders that you need to bring in your options pools for your employees and so on And that's why I love podcasts like this
2: that, that type of advice you know again if I were to go back and tell my younger self before starting the business go and do a lot more research I didn't do it. I just jumped right in I was like well, I don't know these answers let me just go get somebody that can do this and I made some bad decisions you know, and I'm sure all you guys do. have made plenty of bad decisions in your business. I, I just anyway, learned that yesterday. That's why I'm using it on the podcast. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, and I think that's that's huge is that, you know, another thing that, you know, for your audience to hear is that, you know, being an entrepreneur, we always talk about our wins. We always talk about what's going well. You go talk and TED Talk, you know, watch TED Talks, whatever it is. You hear speakers on stage. Everyone only talks about the great. I mean, the the amount of failures that people talk about is this much, but that's what, got you to the level you're at. It's got me to the level I'm at. I'm going to make a lot more mistakes in the next five, 10 years, which will hopefully help us grow our business to 50 million. You know, that, that's that's just the way it works. So you know, you, you know, there's no playbook for this. There's no, like, as many business books as there are, you're not going to be able to read them all to be able to know everything when you start a business. You just got to jump in
0: and make mistakes. It's not just the failures that people don't talk about. It's the sadness and Mm -hmm. the loneliness and the emotional stress that people don't talk about. I think that the failures, people will bring up from time to time, but it's those moments where you have that day when you have an employee that's just gone completely rogue or has, manifested something that may not really be occurring or might be going through something and drops a ball and that creates a crash in a, for a client or creates a, a negative issue, uh, uh, an impact with other employees, yeah. that can create the um, incredible stress for an entrepreneur or a business owner or a manager or a leader that no one ever talks about, right? so. When empathy he, flows down, not up, unfortunately. And, and, and we, we talked about this the other day. Empathy flows down and mostly not up for celebrities, for owners, for politicians, for anybody that's in any situation. Um, I'm curious when you were going through this, right? The first six months, then he disappears for a few years. Yeah. What was the stress of that like?
2: Well, I was going to turn this around. You guys, did you guys ever feel lonely because you always had each other? Like, did you have moments where you still felt like I'm running this business and I feel like I'm by myself?
0: Only when we were fighting. Okay. Yeah, like, cause there's been times where yeah. we were, where we, we, as partners were not yeah. clicking for one reason or another, um, and I think that that created a, that created a sense of loneliness. Cause if yeah. I can't talk to him, to, to the point, I can't talk down, right? I can't talk to the employees because I would never yeah. do that because that's going to create worse issues for me, um, and I and it's and it's really hard to talk to people that don't understand the plight uh, of mm-hmm. a entrepreneur, yeah. right? The, um, the things we go through, um, I, I often say I lost my brother recently. Yeah. He was my go-to guy cause he owned a little business on his own and he didn't judge me. Right. So yeah. if I was talking about wins, I wasn't bragging. Yeah. If I was talking about losses, he, he knew what I needed. Um, it's, it's difficult to find that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would say it can get lonely. What uh, I think is interesting though, is it, I love
1: that question and, I think Dave really captured pretty great essence of like how we both navigated it. There's a metaphor that I want to share with the audience that I think that you'll relate to, Mm -hmm. and there's a great book, which I'll put it in the show notes, but it's escaping my mind right now. And it's about the captain, a a naval captain and captain of a ship when you're out to sea. um, this happens a lot with submarines. It happens a lot with boats, but I think that even if you have two captains, and someone to really lean on and have, you know, a friendship and a partnership and all those things, mm-hmm. when you have two partners that do different things it still gets really, really, really lonely. Yeah. So I think even having a partner, you know, again, I don't know what it's like to run a business without a partner, yeah. but I work with a lot of people who do. I think there's a loneliness that happens. And I, I mentioned that ship captain, because when you're out to sea, sometimes building a business, trying to create something different, et cetera. it's very lonely at the top there's, you know, they always say like when you get to the top of the mountain, there's not a lot of oxygen um, because you're at the top of the mountain. So I think that um, I empathize with that loneliness because I've seen it, you know, in our business, I was always the practitioner, right. And, and he was really, you know, driving growth and leadership and and a lot of different things. Um, But as the practitioner, sometimes like, you know, when I was knee deep in a problem before the business scaled and we started having teams to do that, all Mm -hmm. that work, does get very lonely. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes in that loneliness will give up a lot of their business, which it sounds like you did. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, hindsight's not twenty twenty. So yeah, yeah that, that book talks a lot about just the importance of leadership and what to do when you're lonely. Yeah. Um, they talk about a lot of different things because it's like David said, you know, I used to make the joke that if I get on my car and I'm walking into the office in a world before the pandemic where everyone's remote, if I stub my toe, and I got a grimace on my face, people think something's wrong with the business. That's exactly you know? right, yeah, that's exactly because right. Because the, the employees look Feel to the, a little under the
2: weather and you show up in a meeting and you're not normal, people are like, yeah, they- They're feared. It, if what? they don't
0: know exactly what's causing it, they make up their own stories. Exactly. And usually when they make up their own stories, they're gonna be way wrong, yeah. 100%,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: I, I think there's frameworks, I mean, as I think through it, I've, I've, I've now been a part of, um, in one way, shape or another, uh, the formation of new companies with partners and one of the things that i've tried to do is uh spend extra time going through terms and edge cases and talking them and writing them out and really looking at the person looking the person in the eye and say listen we're going through this laborious process to try and think of every edge case that can happen but we may have to after the first year revisit the capital structure revisit Mm -hmm. other things to make sure that we have the strongest company possible and you have to look at them in the face and say to them are you okay with that no. because if you're the number 1 contributor then you should be the number 1 equity holder if you're the, if I'm the number 2 then I should be the second in 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 line but when there's, a, when there's a, a huge distinction between those two numbers, you wind up at, at odds with that. I was talking to an entrepreneur yesterday who's at a company where he's the number two contributor, and he feels very empowered. And he, they only gave him uh, like less than 1% of the company, and it's a startup that has no value yet. Yeah. And he's like, this is a problem for me. And I said, it should be. And I said, you need to go and you need to talk and you need to ask the leader, do you feel that you are, let me see the cap table and then decide, are you, do you feel that you're by orders of magnitude 10 times more valuable than me in this organization as it comes as as it as it relates to contribution? If he says yes and he argues with you, you have to listen to that and be open-minded and understand why that's the case. But I think there's actually frameworks that you can fill. I, I've never researched it because I'm not much of a researcher like you guys are. I know you both crush books and go to lots of seminars and all that kind of stuff. But I'm more in the, in the thick of it. And I think that you just have to have those conversations and you have to say like, we may have to revisit this based off of these things that may not make sense after yeah. we, we get the, the, the business started. Which makes a lot of sense. Because once it's alive. Yeah. Then you actually know. It changes. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you have to have, and you have to know the person across from you is going to say, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And yeah, so the most important thing
2: is trust. You know, if you have partners, you can trust. That's the, you know, that's the best. And, so, you know, after we did that original 50-50 partnership, we did have a restructure because I was able to have those conversations, just like you were saying, like, this is not working out. We had this opportunity with HubSpot. We need a little bit more capital. So we did a, a big restructure. Uh, I think I went from like 50% down to 45%. He went from 50 to 10%, but we were able to sell off right. that other equity, right. bring in some money. And then my number one employee, first employee, was Tom. And you know Tom. Yeah, of CEO, uh, And, you know, talk about Lonely. I never felt that, you know. And maybe one day I will. I never felt lonely in my seat. I think, especially the first, you know, eight ten years, because I always had Tom next to me. And Tom, you know, and I know I understand. Listen, I've had plenty of partners. I've had my dad was a partner of impact for a period of time. Like we fought. Like so, I know what it's like to fight with partners. Family. Totally normal, especially when it's family. Tom and I have never had a fight, which is. Just makes, it's just the weirdest thing. And, and him and I have known each other now for 12 years, been business partners for 10 years. Never had a single fight. Well, you're also not crazy. David and I are batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I, I can, he's not lying. No, but my employees will tell you there's old Bob and new Bob. But Old Bob was was off his rocker. Uh, but Tom just, you know, having somebody that would always listen, knew, like I was in charge, always wanted me to be in charge, but I always valued his opinion he would give me his opinion and I'd make whatever decision. He would go with whatever decision. And he knew his role was, you know, especially when we had employees, when I'm making a decision that might not have been popular, you know, Tom was looking at me and he was nodding with a smile on his face. It was a message to the entire team like, no, I'm good with this. So you guys should all be good with it too. I always had that person. that always had my back. Now, as we got a little bit more complex, we're bigger. I have, you know, a COO who, who has her role. I've got some different partners now, obviously with Marcus since he, he came in. You guys know Amith and you guys have talked mm-hmm. about him. He's come in. So, I, And I also have a business coach. So I have different people I can go to for, for really everything that I need to go to. And everyone knows my job is to put all that together and make the decisions and, and everyone's going to go forward with those decisions. So, um, so no, I never really, and I think that probably also helps that being that I am the CEO, I am the final decision maker on everything, I'm not going to have those fights when I make decisions because I am going to get everyone's input I'm going to make the best decision I possibly can make and we're going to go full steam.
1: It's like Bezos used to say, right? Was it was a disagreeing commit. Is that what it was? That's
0: like, exactly right. Yeah. We yeah. can all disagree but yeah. we're
1: committing moving forward.
0: Eventually yeah. somebody has to, if, some, if you're fighting over, east I always say, if you're fighting over East or West, eventually you, everybody makes their arguments and then yeah. when the captain says we're going East, everybody picks up their bags and goes East. That's
2: exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's steps you have to take to get to that moment. You can't just not listen to anybody and say, we're going east. And everyone's like, no, we got to go west for all these reasons. But if everyone felt that they were heard for the reasons why to go west, you can say, I've heard everybody. I might have just got my east and west mixed up, whatever it is. But if everyone's saying go west, then I can say, listen, I've heard everybody. I know all the reasons why you want to go west. The X, Y, Z. But for this reason, I still think we have to go east and that's where we're going to go. I need everyone to commit to that, or else you can't be on the team. And everyone says, "You know what? Giddy up!" And uh, they still may disagree, but they'll never let anyone else know that because we're putting all of our energy into that.
0: That's an important one. You can't be on the team. A lot of people are yeah. afraid of that, of, to say that. That's okay. But it's important because the person that disagrees and and is wi- is wi- in some cases is willing to sabotage to win. Right. Because it becomes about them instead of what's the best thing for the team and the company.
1: Yeah. I call Um, those I call those well poisoners. Yeah. We've had a few of those over the years. Everyone's employee at
2: will. If you're not liking where the company is going, you're not stuck here. Go somewhere where you're going to be happy. And listen, you can go and I've had so many, you know, you know, some of my employees that have been with me for a long time. They're no longer with us. Still great friends. Like I think you can be friends with your employees and your teammates. And still run your business like a business. Absolutely, yeah, it run it mean. like a sports team. We're all gonna we're gonna have A players in every seat. If you don't agree with this, the direction we're going, or you're no longer an A player, and it's time for you to go, I will still go to your wedding. I'll still send you a gift when when you have your baby. Let's go hang out and have a few drinks. It's That's co- the totally empathy cool. human side that yeah. people
0: don't see in these businesses that so, in in these in this world where it's like we are. We're different. We don't put pants on the same as them yeah. because we are the the leaders or the owners or the shareholders or whatever yeah. the case is. It's kind. Of, it's sad. That's the part that took me a long time to understand, which is that I always think of myself as this really balanced, crazy human. Okay. But um, I don't know if that that makes any sense. But the uh, the people that are around me that are smiles and laughing and all of that. Yeah you come to find out that they're afraid of you and all this stuff, no matter what you do, no matter what what you, you implement, uh, they, there's, there's this dynamic that the
2: only way you overcome that is trust. Yeah. The only way you overcome that is trust. So we had that for a lot of years at impact and, and I, would feel the pressure. Like how come I'm not one of the guys, right? I'm not, how come they're not inviting me to go out after work with them Play for the exact ball. reason.
0: Yeah.
2: For, for that exact reason you're saying, cause I'm the boss and there has to be this, this wall there. But when I started opening it up to them and saying, I'm no, I'm failing in this area. I need to be better here. And they started giving me advice and I actually took their advice and they were able to open up to me a little bit. That's when it started coming out like, well, Bob, like they're afraid of you for this reason, this reason, this reason. And that's when I started really learning about all of it. And, and then when you, have, you know, it's important to have a great leadership team. When you have a great leadership team, it helps all of that. Um, but that you can overcome that. You can be friends with your employees and run your business like a business. But you have to be very distinct about it. And you have to have, you know, be willing to admit your mistakes and be willing to be vulnerable with your team. And that, you know, when we walk around, like we're the CEO and we act like it and like we do no wrong. We don't want any of our, you know, subordinates to, to be insubordinate. Like that's, you know, that's not going to be good. It's not going to, yeah. it's not healthy for the business.
1: Yeah. And I think to David's point point, your point, I think alike is, you know, civilization has had power dynamics long before we had businesses. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you sort of look at like just human beings, if you look at you know how do lions behave in the wild and gazelles behave in the wild you know it's not to say that one is necessarily better than yeah. the other but there is a hierarchy that exists in 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 that sort of wild nature so i think in some cases it's it's waking up to the fact that no matter how good of a job that you do you know people are looking at this as a place of employment i think you know the turning point for me and i'm sure we you know i have discussed this and dave and i have discussed this many times is you know you go from like when it's a small company. It's like a family. And then as the company grows, you know, you want, you know, that fraternal type of yeah. relationship and and with people cause you care about people and, and whatnot. But at a certain point, you know, when you're scaling the organization, you know, when you want to get to 50 million, which is, I know what you guys are on track for. Um, you you have to make some hard decisions Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a that's a really good place for us to pivot into the next part of the conversation which is really about how do you go from and i know you lost some good people and and uh when you went from hey we're no longer going to be an agency and "and we're going to now move into a consultancy you as the as the visionary in this operating system if you will made that call and you said hey we're now we're going to go double down i've looked at the market i've talked to hubspot i've talked to the other partners you've always been a great listener now you make this shift. Yeah. Why did you shift from agency to consultancy? And then tell us why you shifted now from consultancy to being in the business of online education and, and really doing all the things that you do today, which I'll let you describe, because you're gonna be better at than I will.
2: I, I think the shift was, was there's was a lot of factors that came into play. Um, I think the market was getting very competitive, so for agencies to be able to deliver results, I think it was a lot harder. I think there was also a lot more players, so it was a lot more commoditized. We were getting more price pressure. I think the, the biggest thing was our employees just didn't love what we did. And I wasn't passionate about what we were doing anymore. Doing the work for clients and them saying, where are our leads? Do more. Do better. And it was like our employees were getting burnt out. They weren't getting any fulfillment from that work. Um, and the results were just not what they used to be because our people weren't passionate. It was harder, more commoditized. We didn't have as much budget to do what we needed to do. Um, we're able to create the lives for people either cause with all that price pressure and the tight margins, like, you know, you can't give the raises and, and promotions you want to give. So, uh, something had to change. Um, I think meeting Marcus and seeing his framework and his model, it was an aha moment, knowing the profit margins that he was doing, but also knowing that he didn't want to scale. He didn't want to have employees. That's why I love, I love having employees. I love how do I scale a business it's where I spend all my time. How do you scale a business? All aspects. So being able to tell them, like, let's take your IP. You can be the face of this. We're going to be, they ask the answer company, and I'm going to scale this. was a match made in heaven Um, with the better margins just by having a coaching product and a training product allowed us to pay better. Um, Our employees just enjoyed their work more because they were seen as an authoritative figure in a brand by being a coach or by being a trainer and being featured in our marketing as that um and knowing that the clients were doing the work so able to put the responsibility on the client like if you're not getting results it's your own fault it's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing versus the other way around where the clients are saying where are my results where are my leads where i need you to hit this ridiculous deadline so so it was more fulfilling for our people and i think even as we went even more into they ask you answer i realized we're becoming a market of one so that's helping us um you know, just be significantly more profitable because people are reading the book. They're either seeing Marcus speak or they're reading the book. The book's becoming more popular. Uh, as people, you know, we have a ten-person marketing team whose only job is to market. They ask you answer, get more people aware of it, wanting to do it. Uh, book sales month over month are going up, even though the book's three years old, the second edition. So we're doing good from that aspect, and people are saying we want to do. They ask you answer. Well, we're the only game in town. When you want to do the ask and answer and you need help, you call us. And there's no one else really that can do that. So the, what we can charge for that, we charge a premium. Um, and we're now also looking at other ways how we're going to expand the business. So licensing, we don't have to always uh, charge uh, yeah. licensing exactly. So we don't always have to, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. But right now it's really helped us go from where we were to where we are now. And on the fast track to a $25 million, $50 million company. Um, awesome. we look at, uh, companies like EOS. Mm-hmm. We love scaling up, um, by Vern Harnish. And his. just
1: explain EOS cause the, sure. we... real quick, high level yeah. to the audience if you could.
2: So scaling up in EOS are both similar. They're both books and frameworks and they are ways of operating your business. And they built their entire business model around having coaches and trainers and online education and they're, Customers or the people doing EOS, they would say we do EOS in our company or we do scaling up in our company. Yeah, so and just we,
1: for those that don't know, EOS just stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, and it's like Bob said, it's a yeah. it's a framework for how to organize the business. Taps into the sort of core construct it came out of that book Rocket Fuel. That's right. I think is a is a big
2: yeah. uh, book about that. So Tra- just for the is the original one. Right. Rocket Fuel is a yeah, and they built their whole business around that. Um, and there's a few other ones. There's StoryBrand, which mm-hmm. uh, you know your audience yeah. may have heard of. There's Great Game of Business, which is another one. So we said, why can't they Ask You Answer have a business model just like them? You know, so when you know one of the differences between our companies now, which is great, is you know if we get a lead that comes in and says, hey, we just need help with marketing, we're probably not going to be the right fit because there's a long journey that we have to take them from. You need help with marketing to. You should be doing. They ask me answer. If they're looking for an agency to get them to say no. I'm going to do this in house. I'm going to hire staff. I'm going to learn how to do this. It's a little bit of a big leap. But when people come and say that we want to do, they ask me answer. So, um, so it's a huge difference. So we still get a lot of leads that come and say, hey, we want help with marketing. It's not a, not a great fit for us, but good fit for you guys. So It's I'd interesting. Like Some of your way. It's re- it's really interesting because if you think about
1: HubSpot, for those that don't know, HubSpot also created a market of one. They literally coined the term inbound marketing, mm-hmm. right? There was other products and tools that did similar things, but they coined the term. When you think of a CRM, you think Salesforce. When you think of inbound marketing, you think HubSpot. A lot of other yeah. tools now do inbound marketing, right? That's right. So it's, it's interesting. I'm wondering if subliminally or subconsciously when you were making that pivot into the they ask you interesting, I'm wondering if you were sort of tapping into your inner HubSpot stuff. I know there's a conference oh, room over sure. there
2: named after you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and absolutely. I mean, HubSpot was another inspiration for how they created a category and, you know, just dominated the category and how many companies say that they do inbound marketing in their company. Absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's how we wanted to be. And I think it's served us well, you know, and the things we're working on now is, you know, we, we set this big, hairy, audacious goal, uh, our BHAG, which is 10,000 businesses all over the world thriving, with they ask you answer. So it's a message to our entire staff. It's a message to the world. We are a They Ask, You Answer company. 10,000 gives size. All over the world is showing our commitment to both DEI, but being an international company. Uh, We want to be able to serve every community, every market. Uh, So we're really, really excited about this mission. And we're we're still really early on it. And how are we going to get to 10,000? I don't think it's going to all be through direct coaching relationships. It's not going to all happen from businesses paying us $10,000 a month for coaching and training. I think maybe you know ten percent of that ten thousand might come from our direct relationship with us, but now we're licensing the IP and training other agencies and coaches and consultants to be able to deliver the Ask You Answer to their customers. I know there's a lot of agencies that have great relationships with their customers; would never break that. We would never want them to break that, but their clients should. A lot of them should be doing the Ask You Answer. So how do we, you know, create that channel? I think that will be a huge way for us to get to 10000 and for us to get into other markets. So let's get some coaches that speak Spanish or coaches that serve the black community or coaches, whatever it might be, in markets that maybe we're not servicing as well as we, we can be and we can be serviced better um, by other coaches. They may innovate and deliver. They ask and answer services in totally different ways than we do. That's awesome as well. And, you know, again, learning from the EOSs and the scaling ups of the world, some companies are going to say hey listen we want to do they ask you answer but we want to do it by ourselves we just need a little bit of help so we said oh let's create another channel where people can self-serve themselves let's give them all the courses and all the education all the tools and charge them a lower fee per month where they can self-implement they ask you answers that's a whole another channel for us mm-hmm. um and we're going to probably look at what are the other line extensions but the connection is that it's all they ask you answer and companies that want to do it and we want them to be able to do it well and again, thriving with they ask You answer doesn't mean that they've tried it once before. It's that they literally run their digital sales and marketing using the they ask answer framework, and they're having a lot of success doing that. So I want to poke on that for a second, yeah. because
1: a lot of people listening to this are founders, business owners, marketing professionals, and many of them, like you, are not an engineer by trade. You've essentially had to build a software company yeah. inside of your company to yeah. be able to serve this these custom online education needs. The, the teachables and the, you know, Podias and Kanjabis of the world, they didn't do what you needed, right? You wanted to create a very custom yeah. software education program right. for how to do that. You're not an engineer, so how do you go and do that? I know there's a lot of people that listen to this saying, oh shit, I need software. You know, as, as what was it, Andreessen said, software's eating the world, right? Yeah. How, do
2: you, how do you do that when you're not an engineer you don't have that mindset? You figure it out. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to read, I had to learn, I had to figure it out. <sighs> You know, and and talk to a lot of people, read a lot of books, wherever wherever it is. Um, And I don't think we have it, you know, on lockdown yet. You know, um, again, one of the big challenging things, we talk about decisions that were made before Easter West, going back to that conversation. You know, I decided we're going to build this for reasons I saw. I had some people on my team saying we have to custom build it. And I have other people saying we should use out of the box or we shouldn't even do it at all. Like, why don't we just do the coaching business and drive a lot more profit? Because even today, our membership program sucks a lot of cash. It is not a money maker for us. It's a, an investment in our company's value down the road. And it's an investment in long-term. The mission. Um, to, to the mission. Um, but it sucks a lot of cash still. Now, luckily, the company is still profitable despite having this big cash suck over here, but it's, it's part of the mission. It makes our coaching training more efficient, um, and more profitable. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, so that was a decision I had to too. make and I, I, you know, I have some partners that I'm like, I understand your concerns with it, but we're still investing in it. And here's why and we're going this direction hmm. and you know, you have to make those calls sometimes.
0: Well businesses have lost leaders, you have to it's sometimes the nature of the game. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could go back to twenty two year old Bob for a brief moment in time and you had and you could say three things to him. Three give him three lessons quickly because you're gonna shoot back to old Bob with gray hair. Yeah. What would you say? I would say read more.
2: Uh that would be definitely number one. I would say um take better care of yourself. You need the energy. So I I wish I was working out more back then and having some healthier habits. Um, that'd be two. Um, what would three be? Those would be my top two, I think. Just read more and take better care of yourself.
0: Kind of better deal with your partner.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Again, yeah, he's a great guy, and yeah. I don't want to say anything bad about him. It just didn't work out, and so it's cutting a deal yeah. is
0: not a bad yeah. thing to say about someone. Yeah. Cutting, a, I mean, deals. Again, it's the difference between my cousin being very upset and not happy with the firm that he's at, and they can make him very happy, yeah. right? That's the that's the, the that that that, that, that there's, we have to self serve, and we have to serve the companies yeah. we work for. So I think there's nothing wrong with that.
2: Now, now, actually, I do have a third that. I don't know if it's as applicable for us because of the generation that we grew up in being the the 2000s when everything was down, salaries weren't high, there wasn't a lot of money, but to the generation maybe that are in their 20s now, mm-hmm. I would say that they probably have a lot more money than we had back then, salaries, whatever it is, I would say start saving earlier. I wish I had more in my 401k mm. in my 20s than I, you know, I started a little bit late. Now obviously I was putting a lot of my money into my business, so it worked out, but... I
0: still think I would have wanted to save more. So that would be probably my third. They make more money, but they're not saving more money because the cost is so high right now. I literally see the stock price for Louis
2: Vuitton and all that and just the amount of money that just gets spent on luxury goods out of this world. I, I
0: put 87 in my Jeep today, and it still hit $100 to fill the tank. That's and right. I was shocked. I was like, oh, my God. It's like can't you have Teslas like us. I actually got a BMW i4 M50 coming, so I am electric now and you. you will be happy to know that I found out that we just got approved for solar on the roof and there'll be charging stations at the district.
2: Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. good.
0: That's good news. I don't know what kind of charging well, I Can I tell hit. a quick
2: story about my Tesla? Go ahead. So yeah. one day I forgot to charge and I left Wallingford and I was like, oh, I got 32 miles. Um, let me just see what happens. I get down to the office and I was like, I drove slow. I got down here and it was like 22 miles. I'm like, all right, I did the math in my head. I could easily get back to Wallingford at the end of the day. But it was a hot day and I get Air in my car and when I turn it on, it was like, there were six miles to go. So I was not going to get home. So I, then I was like, all right, well, where's the nearest charging station? Six miles away in Hamden. So, and I was like, you have to like go by really the Starbucks. Slow. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got there with like one mile left and I don't know if it goes over 10 miles. I've heard that after, but I was like white knuckled the whole way there. Like it's this thing. Cause it's not like you just, you know, have somebody bring you a can of gas, no. right?
1: No, you got to flap at it. I've 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 had mine die on me twice. Oh really? And yeah, once. Um, you know, you, you can call Tesla. Sometimes they'll bring out like a uh, like they have these like mobile station things and like they can like plug it in for a little bit and it gives you like just enough to get to the next station. Yeah. But the both times for me I had to have it flatbedded because it's all wheel drive. So you had to have it flatbedded out. And yeah. and let me tell you something. I felt I mean I, I often feel like a douche driving a Tesla, but I felt like a super douche being like, let me have my Tesla just like taken away. So um,
0: I don't Yeah, I, I, I never want an electric car just because I my I drive like 85 is 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 like 55 to to the normal person for me. So like whatever the battery uh, uh, mileage is. I get half of it. You're giving, you're giving like the state troopers like, I don't give a shit. They can try and pull me over if they <laughs> me. But it just, it, unfortunately, it, Every time I've driven a car, a, a Tesla. My father-in-law has one. I like go and he's got he 250 miles, miles on on a charge, and I drive 75 miles and I got to recharge. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, what happened? Yeah. So I'm doing it now because the gas. Pr- now that now that the tables have turned, the gas prices are high enough where it makes total sense. Yeah. And cool. I have other vehicles that I can. I have. I have a, For my bike it. that I can take and 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 get to places and. And my wife has a gas powered car and I can always rent a car and you have Toro if you want to go far and like all this stuff. Like we were going to buy this gigantic Yukon Denali for three rows of seats. And spend all this money, and I was like, for what? And she's like, well, mm-hmm. if we have to take a road trip, I was like, but we could just rent a car for a road trip and spend a thousand bucks once and not have all this extra car. Yeah. And then you start to get smarter with your money, too. That's It's not even the savings, it's just, it, I guess it's savings, but yeah. it's it's just smarter spending. Well, the future right? world, we're
1: not going to own anything. Everything's going to be subscription economy, totally. so, on-demand subscription. I, I want to yeah. pivot us to... um
0: I was going to wrap this up.
1: Oh, yeah, I was going to take us to some some of the aha moments that you had around culture and leadership, because well. I think that the audience... Can really benefit from this, and I think selfishly, I think we yeah. can a little bit too. You've always been a servant leader as long as I've known you, and I've known you a long time—probably what plus over five years at yeah, this point, at least, yeah, um, easily. And you've always invested in leadership. You've always invested in the offsites. You know, you've you've mm-hmm. shared a number of different programs with me. Um, less of a walking advertisement for the the different ones that you've yeah. used, and more of You've seen tremendous benefits with retention. Yeah. You've seen tremendous benefits with uh, teams being able to perform at a higher higher performance level.
0: You've also yeah. rolled up companies, which is difficult difficult to do yeah. and maintain culture and or balance culture or merge cultures. Yeah, yeah. so I definitely want difficult. you to
1: talk about the aqua hires and the culture yeah. merging with David. But before we get to all yeah. of that, talk to the audience a bit about just the impact that, investing in leadership development leadership training for you yeah. and your staff has had over time
2: well there's a lot to it i think when you look at the definition of leader leadership it's when people follow you and they have other options they could follow anyone else they could work anywhere else but they decide to work for you and they decide to follow you and that's really the definition of leadership um so how do you build that? How do you establish that? It's, it's, you know, being very clear what this organization is all about and, and being very clear with what's not about. Very, very important. You know, we, um, I heard a speaker uh, a few months ago and they were, you know, you can have a culture that is very autonomous or you can have a culture that's very, um, uh, not commanding, um, opposite autonomous would be like uh,
1: like autocratic, or?
2: I guess, yeah, just very, you know, um, well, I'm totally blank on the word I'm trying to find here, but like, commanding, whatever it is.
0: You ask, they do. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? Whatever, whatever that word is. And
2: honestly, neither one's wrong. Yeah, Neither one's wrong. Like, uh, controlling, I think is the word I'm looking for. So, controlling. If you look at Disney, one of the biggest companies in the world, one of the most controlling cultures in the world, they want everything done a certain way. And they're very intentional about every single thing. It's a very controlling culture, but it's a great company and a thriving company. And when you work for Disney, you just know that that's what you're getting into. And if you're the type of person that wants to be in an environment that's like, just tell me what to do and I'm going to do it to the best of my effort, that's the right place for you. You might not do well in an autonomous environment. So I think one of the things that is really, really important is understanding especially if you had a business for a few years, what's made you who you are, and don't lie about it. If you're if you're controlling culture, just be honest when you're interviewing people. Don't say, oh no, we're, we're great, and everyone has fun here, and we, we let everyone do what they want, when in reality, the truth is that, no, that's not the way things are operating. So one of my recent things, I'm being, you know, I realize we are very, very fast-paced. We change a lot. Um, we expect excellence out of every single employee. We put a lot of pressure on every employee. We put a lot of work in every employee and the people that do best in our environment thrive in that environment. They want that. Um, but it's not for everybody. It's probably only for a fraction of the population that would actually want that. So it's so important for us to only get people on the bus that are just like that and be willing to walk away from somebody that has a great resume and probably all the skills, but would, if they're, they wouldn't make it in that environment. And if they did, they would complain about it. If you have too many people in that environment that are complaining about it, then that's what your culture is gonna be, right? And everyone's gonna be miserable and the people that you really need are gonna leave because they don't wanna be surrounded by those people. So I think that's been a big thing I've really learned. Another big thing is, um, and I I think as you you grow, and you guys have definitely gone through this over the last few years, is really knowing what seats you need, getting the right people in the right seats, and being able to have them have the decision-making ability to do what's right. Um, so, so I think that it's taken us a lot of years to get that layer really, really right. And I'm very proud. We have the best VPs, the best directors, for, at least for our organization, uh, and the leadership that we have, we work so well together and that's really allowed us to take another giant step forward. But just how important it is to really define those seats that you need and get somebody that, that's that role. Um, again, probably even more of a culture fit. I think another thing I'm also realizing um, is uh, most people don't want the job they're qualified for. Most people want the job that comes after that. You're even the one after that. Um, and in this environment... It's called the Peter Principle.
1: <laughs> no, it is, really. Yeah. It's saying you're 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 as qualified for the last job that you did, even yeah. though you're going, for, you know, one above. So it's, okay. it's, a, it's actually a thing. I hate the oh, fact yeah. that it's called the Peter principle because yeah, yeah. it has nothing to do with me,
2: but it's yeah. just, it's a real thing. Well and that and realizing that that how important it is and how do you create an organization that actually can lean into that opposed to fight that? Because if you fight it too much, people are going to leave because somebody else will give them that opportunity. Um, and you know, I have people that have been with me for four or five years, know the company inside and out. They are absolutely a culture fit. Um, one of our core values is obsessed over learning. We have a big reading culture. So so I'll put people in positions they're totally not qualified for. Um, I expect my leaders to give them some grace while they're lear- learning the role. And I expect them to figure it out. And, you know, I put the pressure on them to figure it out. And I, we set mar- you know targets. That's that culture we probably have where people are maybe overworking or, or, you know stressing and being very very challenged that's just who we are if you want that next step you know you want to grow fast we are creating the environment for you to grow fast but you've got to figure it out so those are some of the things i mean probably a plethora of other things i probably can go into but those are some of the ones i would say that are hot in my mind
1: you said something to me that i think you're going to want to dig into dave just given a lot of the work that you do strategically with advising companies and whatnot remember we, we bumped each other on campus so we have a campus here in New Haven, Connecticut called District um, for the, the listeners and the watchers of this in the future. And I bumped into you at, you know, Bear Smokehouse and we mm-hmm. grabbed the drink and you were like talking about just how hard it was to find talent, you know, and this is pre-pandemic, right? Or yeah. in the middle of the pandemic when things were getting a little bit weird. And then the next time I bumped into you, you were telling me that you were doing all these aqua hires um, where you're going out and finding, you know, small boutiques that, that really embody the the thinking and the principles and you brought them to the organization. So I know you've got a lot of questions around what that might look like in terms of just
0: integration and fit and,
1: and you get people people asking you these questions. Dave's a, Dave's a big kind of growth strategist for those that don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the big, the, the big thing is you look, most people look at mergers and acquisitions as numbers and data but it the biggest part of a merger and acquisition is actually the culture mm-hmm. how do you, how have you assessed culture as you've done these roll-ups I think every
2: time you do an aqua hire and we've, we've done small companies you know we're talking you know less than five people per company so we just look at it as we're scooping up you know um, there's a few things that have to come into play. And, and when we did our, our acquisitions, we were much more agency. Now we're much more coaching consulting, although we're in the middle of an Aqua hire right now, an uh, acquisition we're doing. So I can talk about that and they're very different. Um, so before we were looking for contracts that fit with what we were doing, um, plus or minus, you know. Um, so we would have the, sal- the, the revenue that would offset the salary growth. So it's, it's a growth play for us and to the enterprise value. Um, And yeah, I think we looked at each person in that company, again, up to five people or so, um, and we put them through the same hiring process we put anybody. Um, There were some where we said, okay, we're gonna go forward with four of the five. This one's not gonna cut it. Do we still wanna make the deal? Um, But yeah, we just have to do the same interview process and the same, everything I was talking about before. When I interview somebody right now, knowing the culture, I drop a whole line, just like I was saying before. We're challenging, we're fast paced. We're, commanding, it's not for everybody, um, and, and you know we read a ton. Like we're, you know, have a lot of pressure on you. Is that what you want? And I see some people absolutely light up, and I've had people get to that stage, and they're like, you know what? That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a work-life balance. Cool. If that's where your priorities are, there's nothing wrong with that. You just can't work here. So you, I think you, you can't have to stay treat with us. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think you have to look at every acquisition as you're hiring five people at once, you're going to have some maybe, uh, revenue and processes or wherever it is that, that comes along with the other assets that come along with it, but you still have to evaluate, is this a good fit? Um, and then they have to all go through the onboarding and that can even be more challenging that we learned because these guys were coming over with contracts. And there's a reason why the acquisition was happening. It was not because everything was so smooth. And now you're going to say, on top of all this, we need to keep, you need to keep the trains going. But you've got to learn what it's like to be part of impact on top of that. And that just needs to be well thought out. So, um, you know, we extend their onboardings a little bit because they still had work to do. We had to have other people come in and help support the work. Y- your team could figure it out, but it just needs to, to be like that. But I, just, I, I think that's probably the biggest advice there. And then the one we're doing now, which is again very similar, or, but also different, because now we're a coaching and training organization. This has a strategic fit for us because we have a lot of uh, demand in Australia, and we can't service Australia right now because of time zones. Our staff is they can't work around the clock. They're working, you know, U.S. hours, um, so they can't really service Australia. But these folks were huge. They ask you answer fans. Uh, we vetted them just like we'd vet anybody else. Uh, can you coach and train the way we coach and train? Do you want the pressure? you want the growth? Mm-hmm. And they checked all the boxes. So we're going to move forward with with this deal, which we're very excited about, which, again, connects right back to the mission. 10,000 businesses all over the world thrive with they ask your answer. So that checks off a big box for us to be able to service the Australian market where there's a lot of demand. <clears throat> but, yeah, my, my best advice would just be... Um, you gotta, you gotta evaluate role. everybody as,
0: as if you're hiring them. Piece of cultural advice when if you do do a deal in Australia, it's uh, Australia, not Australia. They hate that. I've been there. Um, just uh, They never called me out for that. They will. Probably because I just in Sydney. No, they <laughs> got away with it. I have family in Australia and I, I've been out there. I was out there in, uh, when I was 13 and they just hammered me, hammered yeah. me. They're so, uh, like, Australia. Australia, so just they'll love you if you get it right. <laughs> just, it's it's they may not hammer you, but they may you you'll get bonus points if you if you say it right because Americans all say Australia, yeah. and it's uh. Just, Australia. Got yeah, it. Cultural, right. culturally, people like when you say their names correctly, when you say yeah. their country oh, right, when you try and work on their language a little bit. You know those things. It just goes a long way. It really does. Um, you started to talk about something earlier. You touched upon. Sounds like you're considering something that we've been actually talking quite a quite a bit about, which is this concept of ownership and having skin in the game, right? Yeah. And a lot of people say that if you have people that have ownership, that they care more about the money and the business and the success and so yeah. and so forth. It sounds like you're I got a going, lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. So we're, so 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 is it something yeah. that you're willing to reveal in this conversation? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So. Um, As our company is growing, I'm trying to pay my people more uh, because I want them to be, you know, most of our employees are six figures and and the ones that aren't, they're on a fast track to get there. I like that. That's that's the business I want to run. I want to know that I have a company where all my folks can have good lives, not just can afford an apartment. I want them to have good lives so they can start families and have nice things and very, very important to me. But the only way we're going to get there is if we just don't blow up our headcount, and we're very, very responsible with every every dime we spend, um, and and every decision we make. Uh, so, um, so we're building miles right now, um, and with that, I'm noticing as revenue is growing, we're not trying to add headcount. What's happening is that we're asking the people making salaries, and maybe we even get a little bit of salary bump. But we're asking them to do more. And are we being fair to them? You know, is it just a temporary bump? I need you for the next two months to grind, 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 grind. And then you go back to a normal level. Well, then and you don't get a raise for that. It doesn't seem fair to them. So that's where my head is. Is like, are we being fair? I don't think money is a motivator. But I think when you're not being fair with money, it could be a demotivator. So that's where I'm really hyper-focused. So uh, one of the big things, actually, when I leave this, interview, I'm going back and working more on this is what's our, our, our compensation structure in our budget and everything going to look like next year. In a perfect world, I'd like everybody to have a really good base salary. It's fair market for their job. And if they're asked to do more, they get bonused on top of that. So a lot of our client service teams, they've got a bonus where they can earn 20 to 30, 40% more on top of their salaries if their team is doing more with less people. It's a very, you know, efficiency-based uh, bonus program, very team-based. I love that and we need to scale that out to other areas of the business which we're not doing. So that makes it a little bit more fair from like my immediate workload. And I like quarterly bonuses because you don't have to wait till the end of the year. Yeah, of course. So um, then, you know, I think if the business does really well overall, they should have some skin in the game. So I. I we've never done a good job of this and we got to get better at it, is putting in a profit-sharing plan at the end of the year where we give a percent of the profit to the employees that that worked so hard on it. Now they're thinking very much like owners, almost 100%, but not all the way. Because if everybody was only incentivized on that, then they're not going to be thinking long-term value of the business. They're not going to be thinking, like, should we sell this one day? Um, so things like impact plus, they're all going to be complaining. Can not we just cut that and make more money and profit? Cause then we hit our pockets. So they need to have stock options. So I'm working on that too. So again, anything here can change. If any of my employees hear this, they've already heard this from me. I've already told them that I really, really want to do this. It's not going to be easy. It's not gonna happen overnight, but I want everybody in the company to have a quarterly bonus program that goes up and down. If they're asked to do more, they're, they're crushing it. They should be able to earn more because that's fair. If the company does really well and they're part of it, they should get some. And if the company's value increases and sells one day and all the decisions we made got us to that, they should get some of that too. So uh, I think that's a very fair system. And I think if I'm being fair with my employees, we're not gonna be the highest paying place if that's what you're looking for. Again, we're not the spot for you. You're gonna learn here, you're gonna grow here, you're gonna have immense amount of opportunities to contribute to something. And if you love the asking us, you love what we're doing, Uh, And and the lives that we impact through the work that we do, this is a great place to be. um, And I just want to make sure
0: you you get your your fair share. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you for joining us on Forward Obsessed. You are definitely living a Forward Obsessed life with your values of learning and change and how you've optimized things throughout these years uh, in our conversations in today's conversations i even learned even more and i know pete's always spoken very highly of you um and feelings completely mutual thank you, know, you. i'm so excited i'm part of this
2: community and that we're friends and you know i look up to you guys in so many different ways and and you're both very different i learned so many different things from each of you so i really appreciate every lunch meeting we've ever had and um, you're, you're doing you're doing amazing things thank and uh, I, I love you guys for everything you're doing so thank you appreciate okay, that you, so
0: tell the audience how to find you if they want to talk if they want to do business with you if they want yeah. your training if they want to ask you answer if they want to yeah so come work for you <laughs> sell their company yeah well tell, n- the number one
2: thing I would ask anybody to do is is buy a copy of they ask you answer and read it if you know of anybody that needs more leads sales opportunities from their website tell them to read they ask you answer you can buy the book on the Amazon uh, so that's the number one thing. And uh, Impact Plus is our website. I'm on LinkedIn, Bob Ruffalo. Uh, You can connect with me there. Uh, If you want to work at Impact, we have a careers page and we have all of our opportunities there. We're looking for good coaches right now. Always looking for good coaches and trainers. Uh, So if you read the Ask and Answer resonates with you, you want to be part of that, uh, come join us.
0: Cool. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Thank you for listening to Ford Obsessed. Please share this episode, subscribe, and leave a review on your podcast app. This episode was hosted by Pete Senna and David Salinas from the Digital Surgeons Podcast Studio in New Haven, Connecticut. Special thanks to our AV team, Steve Walter and Meg Olson. Forward Obsessed is produced by Robert Roach. If you'd like to contact our team, visit us at boardobsessed.com.